Welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. Mark chapter 10, verse 5 through 9, reading from the NIV. It'll be up on the screen if you don't have your Bibles. Mark chapter 10, verse 5 through 9. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Father, thank you for your word. Deposit in our lives. Change us today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. You can be seated. Highly encourage you to get on the app and follow along with the notes. You can put your own notes in and save them. It'll be very helpful to you as you want to study this, not just listen to me, but you want to go home and study it. And uh, it'll be great for you to do that. And uh, also, if not, just take your own notes. If you're not going to do it in the app, just take your own notes. Because I'm telling you, you're going to learn some things today that are going to help you. If you are married, if you've been married want to be married again, if you haven't been married yet and you want to be married, and if you're just around married people, this will help you. Amen. <laughs> so I want to encourage you to really lean into this today. A few years ago, two or three years ago, Janae and I... Uh, had invited Scotty and Shelly. Scotty uh, and Shelly are, are pastors on our team. They're not here today. They're in Atlanta doing some ministry. And um, we had invited them to come up and hang out with us. And so what do you do when you invite someone to come and hang out at Canyon? You go to the Canyon. And that's what we did. And we thought, let's go to the lighthouse. And we didn't realize how hot it was. Now, We'd gotten up early, and it was brisk and clean morning. You know, it just felt like, oh, this is going to be so much fun. But how many of you have ever been to the canyon, and you caught it wrong, and, and it got hotter before you thought it was going to, and it, you thought you were entering into the gates of hell? It is like that. I'm not kidding. It's really dangerous. You shouldn't do it unless you're prepared. And so we had water and we had everything we needed, but we just didn't realize. And the problem, the problem with... And what does everybody want to do when they come to see the canyon? What do they want to do? They want to go see what? The lighthouse. So that's the trail we took. Now, this is like a six-mile hike in and out, and it doesn't seem like that big a deal. It's not really mountainous. The terrain's not too bad. It's pretty level the most of the way until you get to the place where the lighthouse is, and you climb up, and et cetera. And so... We had decided to do that. We are having so much fun and enjoy it because it was so cool on the way out. You know, just really nice, and the animals were out, and the birds were chirping, and it was just, man, it was just great and awesome. And then we got to the lighthouse, and Janae uh, was having some problems with her ankle, so she decided she wasn't going to go up to the lighthouse. She was just going to set. There's a, if you've ever been to the lighthouse, when you get to halfway there, there's a little setting area before you go up. And so she said, I'm just going to sit here. Y'all can go up and then come back down and then we'll go back. And so she sat down. And when she sat down, we went up. And so she was sitting there by herself. And as she was sitting there, there was a couple that came. Now, I don't want to be in any way, uh, uh, I don't want to say this in any way that would be inappropriate. But they, were, they had some issues mentally. I'll just say it that way. 
And so they had come, and Janae was sitting there at the table, and they were sitting there. And we had left our bags with Janae sitting there with our water and stuff like that because we're just going to go right up, take some pictures, come back down. So as Janae's sitting there, this couple is sitting, you know, I mean, literally, it's on like a picnic table. So she's sitting on this end of the picnic table, and they're sitting on that end. And if I said the words, they went at it, do you understand what I'm talking about? In the middle of the day, early in the morning, it got crazy up in there. They, they, they got excited with one another. They started making out right there at the table. Janae was literally, she was like, she's, when we came down off the lighthouse, I looked down, I couldn't figure out what she was doing. She literally had her back completely turned away from them. And she was like, I don't know what to do. And I'm looking and they are, I'm like, what is this is rated R. I don't know what's happening right now. It was so crazy. And he had gotten in to our backpacks. And they were just sitting there. And he got in. There was a big deal of water. Y'all are looking at me like I'm crazy. I'm just trying to tell you the truth of what happened. So he got in and got this water out. And he took it and just started pouring it all over her. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to give you the truth, y'all. So Janae is literally freaking out. She's like, I didn't, well, she, she said, I wanted to say something, but then I thought, I'm not saying anything. This is weird. This is strange. I've never seen anything like this. And then Scotty comes down. You just have to know Scotty. And he, we start picking our books up, and, I mean, our bags up, and we're looking there. And we're like, what's happening? And they were all over each other. And it was like, what is going on? And she seemed somewhat resistant, so we're trying to figure out what we need to do. And then Scotty notices that he's gotten into our bags. And he's like, hey, were you thirsty? And he's like, oh, I didn't know that. Is that your bag? And so we took it. And I tell you all that because that water became kind of weird to us. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what. I don't know what in the world you would have thought. But I was like, let, let's just say we're like, don't touch that bottle of water. We put the lid on it. We put it in the bag. Let's head back down the deal. So we're about. I'd say two miles, two miles back. And it was hot. Like it got extremely hot. Like when I say hot, I was thinking one of us may die. I mean, it was, it was that real. Like we, I don't know if we're going to make it back. It was that hot. We, we had not prepared for it. We had not, we were not ready for it. We, we were in the right clothes. We were doing the right thing, but we just didn't realize because it was summer. We didn't realize how hot it was going to get. I'd been out there many times, but it just didn't dawn on me. So we're on our way back and it's getting real. Like, and Janae's like, man, I don't, I, I feel like I'm going to faint and we're all hot. And so we drank, we had drank all the water that we had. Every bit of it, except, except for what some had started referring to as the sex water. We had not drank that. And we were so, we were so beyond. We were so beyond. Like, I don't know if we're going to, like, Janae was like, David, I don't know if I'm going to make it. I'm like, I'm thinking, I'm going to have to call the sheriff to come out here and drag us out on, on those little things, those, uh, whatever they, the, what do you call them? Yeah, well, Gurney, yeah. Thanks, Adam. And, and I, I just, man, I, I, I just thought, we're in, we're in trouble here. We're, we're in trouble here. And finally, we just said, we got to do it. 
We got to do it. So we all, we all just started guzzling. I'll drink it if you'll drink it. And we all just drank that up, man. And we just kept trudging and kept trudging. But the real problem, the real problem wasn't the water. The real problem was on that trail, if you know it at all, there is no shade. Like none. So even if you get hot, no matter how hot you get, there's no relief. And it became so clear and so apparent to us on this trail, trying to get to the end of it, trying to get back to our car, became our feet were hot, the bottoms of our feet were hot. We felt dehydrated. We felt tired. We felt overwhelmed. We were getting headaches. It was bad. It was horrible. And all because there was no relief. There was no shade. There was nowhere to get under a tree and the sun not be striking you. And that is what I want to talk to you about today, married people. A disciple's marriage is a marriage that understands we live in a world, especially now, that is hostile to the covenant that God established between man and woman called marriage. We live in a world right now where there are people and systems and issues that are literally trying to pull the family apart, literally trying to, to d- diminish the nuclear family as if it doesn't matter, if this is not as important, as if we have lost the concept or understanding that the society itself is founded and built around that model, around that family dynamic. That's what gives us society, causes society to be foundational, causes society to be healthy, is when that family is in order, when that family is a rock, when that family is established. But what we're experiencing right now in our world for families, for marriages, for children, for parenting, we're we're, we're experiencing this hot sun, this desert sun that is scorching us. And unfortunately, we're not finding the shade. We're not finding the relief. We're not going where we need to go. We're trying to figure it out on their terms. We're trying to figure out how to make it work in context of the world. Instead of saying, I've got to find some shade. I'm telling you, when we would come to the end of that deal, I knew there was no shade on that trail. I've been on that trail many times. I've run that trail. I've walked that trail. I've been down that trail so many times, and I knew there wasn't any shade. But when I got desperate, I'm telling you, I was still looking for shade. And when we live our lives with no shade, when we live our lives with no relief, when we don't take our marriage and our family and place it under that shady context, then what happens is we get beat. We get parched, we get separated, we get pulled apart, we get defeated as in terms of our marriage dynamic. There's a scripture that has become so vastly important to me, and I've never really thought of it in the context of marriage. But as I begin to think about how we are dealing with and under the all of the fire and heat of things that are trying to destroy the family, trying to destroy marriages, trying to pull us apart. I mean, you, you, can, you can look at it from every perspective. You can look at it from the perspective of, 
of lust and adultery and fornication and sexual immorality that is so pervasive in our culture today. Human trafficking and pornography and all of these things, the number one consumer, the number one national consumer of all of those things is the United States of America. We're thinking these kids are being kidnapped and taken off into far countries. No, we're the number one. Because we have bought into the heat. There's no shade. We're just, this is just the way it is. No. There's a scripture in Psalms 91. And I love it. It says this. It says, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and your rampart. You will not fear the terror of night nor the error that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your right side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. Here's what God is saying to us. We have some shade if we'll just go get in it. We have some shade. And it's not just some withering little tree. No. He said, he that dwells under the shelter of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Now, I don't know what you think about shadows, but let me tell you, the Almighty can cast a shadow. And when you get under the shadow of the Almighty, there is nothing, no terror, no pestilence, no problem, no issue, no heat of the day or death in the night that can destroy you or harm you if you put yourself in that shade. Well, how do I get in that shade? I line my life up with the will, ways, and word of God, and it places me under that shade. I commune with God. I pray to him daily. I seek his face daily. I I study his word daily. I think on his word daily. I ask him to speak to me daily. I deny myself daily and I give myself for his purpose and his will. That is abiding in the shadow of the Almighty. You know, you know when he says abiding in the shadow of the Almighty, that, that word abide, it's an interesting word because I think we just gloss over it and it just means get in the shadow. No, it means to live in the shadow. We want to sometimes visit the shadow. I feel like the heat's getting to me. I'm going to visit the shadow. No, don't visit the shadow. Stay in the shadow. Live in the shadow. <coughs> it says, he is my, excuse me, it says, he is my, my, my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he'll save you. He'll cover, I love this definition of God. He'll cover you with his feathers like a hen does her chicks. When a storm is coming or a predator is coming, a hen will gather her chicks and hide them under her feathers. Listen, 
I believe there's a place you can be in God if you really seek him and you really try to find him and you really commune with him and you deny yourself and you follow him and you obey him. I believe there's a place you can get in the presence of God that the enemy can try to find you, but he can't find you. He's like, man, I want to attack them, but you're hidden under the wings of God. This is what Job was talking about when he said, when the devil went to God and he talked to God about Job and he said, I w- Job would curse you to your face if you'd get this hedge you've placed around. You know what I'm praying for our families in this time? God, give us that hedge. Place that hedge around us. Place protection around us. Place a cover around us. Cover us with your wings. Shade us with your shelter. But here's what I know about this. Shade is established and you can't get in it Unless you go to it. We can't expect that shade to follow us around and when we get in trouble to cover us. No, we have to go establish ourselves in the shadow, in the shelter. He who lives in the shelter of God will be covered by his shadow, will be covered by his wings. And sometimes we're asking, God, please help me in this situation. And God is so graceful many times to do it. But what he's saying to us is if you would just live here, you'd have a lot less of that going on. And and I want to take that and put it in the context of marriage today. And, and, And here's what that looks like. It looks like God operates not contractually, but God operates covenantly. God does not operate like man operates. God does not operate by systems. He operates by relationships. So there are five functions of a marriage that we talked about before, and I'm going to give you, I'm going to talk about one of them today. The first is devotion. The second is dedication. The third is determination. And the fourth is deliberation. And the fifth is demonstration. And the sixth is substantiation. And the seventh is, I'm just joking, I was just adding stuff. But today I want to talk to you about dedication. Dedication. And I know that when we get married, that this is in our heart and in our mind. You know, I know people who dated for a long time and people who dated like this quick. Like my, Janae's mom and dad, they were married for 60-something years. He's passed on now. But they dated for three months and got married. We have a brother here that dated his wife for six, six weeks and they got married and married for 45 years. And then I know some that dated for two years and dated for three years and dated for five years and everybody starts saying, you going to do something about this? Or... There's all different ways to go about this. There's all different ways to do it. But We're doing it backwards now. And I want to challenge you a little bit, especially some of you younger people. And as you minister to your friends, I I, I just because I'm a pastor, I get to be privy to a lot of weddings and a lot of engagements, a lot of ceremonies. And and let me just tell you, we have we have and are placing far more importance on the ceremonies than we are on the actual wedding. I mean, the actual marriage. Now, I'm not saying that because I don't like ceremonies. I love them. I love the more creative they are, the more fun they are, 
Like I, I always think though that the, the amount the money that they're costing now, I'm like, oh man, y'all could buy, y'all could put a good down payment on the house. Woo! I mean, somebody needs to talk to you. Somebody say amen. I mean, do what you want to do, baby, but that night's gonna be over like that. And you're gonna you're gonna wish you had anyway, I'm just gonna stop right there. I made that offer, didn't I, Connor? I sure did. They said, we just want to do a big wedding. It's so nice. And I'm glad we did it because it gave us an opportunity to really speak some things and do some things. And they went through counseling before they got married and really worked through some stuff and dealt with that. But it comes down to one thing. It comes down to dedication. Because let me tell you something. If you're not devoted to something, if you're not devoted to your spouse, if you're not devoted to your marriage, it's not going to go well. If you're more devoted to that ceremony than you are what happens after, it's, it's, it's not going to go well. If you're, more, you're, if you're more devoted to getting that shot on Instagram of how creative and cool the engagement was than you are about the marriage itself, it's not going to go well. Because it gets hard. And I'm not one of those preachers that says, oh, marriage is so hard. I hope you can survive it. Just trust God and help let God. No, I believe marriage is awesome. I believe it's the institution that God created from the very beginning. I believe it's what God intended for us, and he wants us to do it, and it's a beautiful, wonderful thing. And we should absolutely stop listening to the world, stop watching the things of the world, stop hearing the things of the world and how they portray marriage and what marriage is really like, because it's nothing like that. It doesn't have to be like that. And let me tell you something. All the complications that come with all that wild living today, listen, you don't have any of that if you'll just be devoted and dedicated to the person that God's put in your life to be your spouse. Come on, somebody say amen. Well, three people thought that was awesome. We start treating marriage like it's fate, not faith. There's one person out there for me. It's like we treat it like a fairy tale. Have you ever noticed that fairy tales are strange? Have you noticed that? That there's always the same theme running through fairy tales. Two wonderful, beautiful people have some kind of hardship and difficulty. And then they somehow find each other. And then there's this phrase. They lived happily ever after. But do you know what's interesting to me? The, all the whole story, an hour and a half movie, a uh, story that you read to your kids, it's all about the pre-happily ever after, but it doesn't tell anything about happily ever. We just got to assume they're right. And let me just tell you, no, it's not a fairy tale. It was a fairy tale before you went to bed uh, the, the night of the honeymoon. It, it's not a fairy tale when you get up the next morning. Come on, somebody. You married, you, you, you married that sweet princess and you woke up the next morning and thought, you look kind of like a prince. I don't know, man. Something's looking weird. You married, that, you, you married that strapping young prince and he gets up the next morning and you see exactly how flawed that sucker is. Dedication. It goes beyond surface. It goes beyond social. It goes beyond minimums. It goes deep. 
To dedicate means to set apart, be set apart and consecrated. It means to devote wholly and earnestly as to some person or purpose. The marriage relationship is a covenant. It's not a contract. And it is not dedicated merely to each other, but to the families that the bride and groom are leaving. And it's dedicated, most importantly, to God himself. Do you recognize these words? We are gathered here today to join these two in holy matrimony. We used to say this all the time at weddings. We are gathered here today to join these two in marriage into holy matrimony. The word holy is not an accident. It means to be set apart. It means to be pure. It means to be sanctified. In other words, God is setting this apart for specific use. There's a purpose for this marriage. And our dedication isn't just to that person, but to that purpose. Now, I want to just say with you today, if you've suffered the travesty of divorce, I'm so thankful we have a, re a restorative God and a God who loves you and cares for you and will find grace for you and give you that grace and help you overcome. And there's so much to be talked about after coming through something like that. But I just want you to know it's not the end for you. And God can do anything. There's nothing he can't do. But his ultimate goal, and he, he, his ultimate goal is to get you married and keep you married. And he hates divorce. The Bible literally says it in Malachi that he hates it. He doesn't hate people. He hates divorce. And the reason he hates divorce is because of what it does to people. Because it's not a contract. It's a covenant. To set apart and consecrate. To devote wholly and earnestly as to some person or purpose. Do you recognize those words? Do you know that God intended marriage to be a holy thing? Marriage was, it's, it's, it's much a sacrament in the church as communion. It's as much a sacrament in the church as baptism. Marriage was instituted by God himself as the first institution before society, before government, before church, before corporations. It was the first institution and was dedicated, set apart, made holy to help humanity and build society, but also, also to reflect the image of his gospel. The world looks at marriage as a contract. It's, it's something that is disposable, something that is casual. That's not how, that's not how God looks at marriage at all. And the warning I would give today, and I'm going to talk to you about just a few practical things in just, just one minute. But the warning I would give you today is we must be careful not to treat something God calls holy and sanctified as common and inconsequential. You, when you're having a struggle with your spouse, if you're a disciple, it should go through your mind. I better check with what God has to say. Because this marriage isn't just about me and her or her or, or me and him. This marriage is about me and them and him. Are you with me? It's making sense to you? I'll give you an example of what can happen. You remember when Joshua was going into Jericho? Joshua was going into Jericho. God told him, you're going to take the city, take your people Go seven times around. At the end of seven days, do seven times. At the end of seven times, blow the trumpets. The walls are going to fall. And he said, there's one thing you can't do. Don't take anything from Jericho. Don't take anything. It's holy. 
That's mine. It belongs to me. It's kind of, it's one of the places we get the idea of tithe because the same word, he said, if you take the accursed thing, that same, that accursed thing, it means the same, it means, it, it means tithe. So tithe has this cursing and blessing attached to it from the Old Testament perspective. And so he said, don't take the accursed thing. In other words, this is the first city that you're going to defeat. That all belongs to me. Give it to me as a sacrifice. Don't take anything for yourself. Don't enrich yourself from it. That belongs to me. It's the same thing that he said in the Garden of Eden to Adam and Eve. You can, you can have the tree, this tree, but you can't have that tree. All these trees you can have. Everything in this garden you can have, but you can't have that one. Don't touch that one. That's mine. And what they do? There's one guy in Israel's army, his name is Achan, and he just could not resist taking what didn't belong to him. And he didn't even take that much. He just took some gold and some Babylonian garments and he hid them in his tent. And they went to Ai next and were going to fight Ai. And Ai was a little city, shouldn't have been a problem. They didn't even send everybody, just a few people. And they routed them, beat them bad because God was fighting against them. Why? Because they treated what was holy is common. When we treat our marriage, which is a holy institution before God, a holy, sacred thing, when we treat it common, when we treat it like it's not that important, when we treat it as if it's, we can take advantage of one another because we're so casual about it because it's, we know you love, you're not going anywhere, it's all. When you do that, you're taking the thing God called holy and you're treating it as if it's common. And it will Blow back on you. Achan was identified immediately. God said, you can't defeat anybody else in this nation. Because Joshua got down on his face. He said, oh God, oh God. What, Canaan's going to destroy us. If we can't defeat Ai, they're all going to hear about this. And they're going to know. And they're going to come down on us and destroy us. God said, get up off your face. There's a time that we're praying for something that we need to stop praying about it and go obey God. God's saying you can't pray yourself out of something you've disobeyed about. You can repent of it, but you got to fix it. Like you can't just keep disobeying me and act like I didn't tell you to do this and, and think that there's not going to be consequences to that action. There will be. And I don't want you to have those consequences. I want you to follow me and do the thing that's right. They treated what was holy to God as common and they were identified and they had to be destroyed. His whole family was annihilated. Judgment of God. Now, we understand that's the way that they handled things in the Old Testament. And I'm not saying that that's the way God handles things exactly that way now. But I am saying that what God is teaching us and telling us is when you treat things that I call holy as common, it's going to have consequences. And those consequences are going to be negative. Amen? We must be careful not to do that. Miles Monroe said this way, when we forget the purpose of the thing, we abuse it. You know, there's a lot of drugs out there that are medicinal in nature but you know what we're seeing we're seeing all over our nation we're seeing people use those drugs that could be profitable to mankind for healing we're abusing them because we forgot their purpose we now think their their purpose is to make us feel better in a an emotional sense we think it's their purpose to make us you know i we, they just they legalized marijuana in, in uh, Oklahoma and now there's a pot store in every corner 
And they're going to try to tell us this about medical marijuana. Yeah, a doctor said I need it. Yeah, it's legalized dope peddling. And it's affecting that state in negative ways. We, if they're going to do it, we might as well get the money for it. That's the dumbest logic I've ever heard. Yeah, because who cares about how it's going to destroy them? And if you're struggling with that today, I'm telling you, get, get rid of it. It's not a good thing. It's not helping you. What you've done is you forgot the purpose of a thing and you're abusing it. And it's going to turn around. When you forget the purpose of a thing and you abuse it, it's going to turn around and abuse you. Come on. The same way with any other kind of substance. Oh, we, 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 we I'm not, that's not what this message is about. I'm going to stop and just go back to the point. Y'all got lucky on that one. Marriage is a covenant, it's not a contract. I will say this, that we've got to learn how to treat things the way they're supposed to be treated again. And you say, well, what if, 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 if marriage is supposed to be treated as holy and not casually, why? What is the purpose? Why would we abuse it? What purpose are we missing? Because the whole purpose of marriage, the Bible tells us in Ephesians, is to reflect the relationship between Jesus and his bride. In other words, when people look at our marriages, they should be able to see how Jesus works with his bride. <laughs> Come on, y'all. You're like, oh, man. Ay, ay, ay. That's what I think when I'm thinking, oh, Lord, have mercy. I am not being like Jesus all the time in my marriage. How many of y'all would agree with me that that might be the case for you as well? So when we say that that's the purpose of it, that's one of the purposes of marriage, then that, that makes us go, hey, I, I better treat this with more respect. I'm, I be, you know, the, the reason we can do the things we do and we treat our marriage sometimes the way we do is because we're, we know the person loves us. And so we think we can get by with it because a lot of times we take advantage of the person who loves us the most. Am I right about it? And that's not just applicable to our marriage. It's also applicable to our relationship with God. Marriage is a covenant, not a contract. A covenant is intended by God to be a lifelong, fruitful relationship between a man and a woman. Marriage is a vow to God, to each other, our families, our community, to remain steadfast in unconditional love, reconciliation, and sexual purity. While purposefully growing in our covenant marriage relationship. The term covenant means coming together. In the Bible, the word covenant is translated in Hebrew over 300 times. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, in the New King James Version, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This is the word dabak, a primitive root, properly to impinge, cling, adhere, to catch by pursuit, to abide fast, to follow close, to be joined together, to overtake, pursued, to stick together, to be like glue, to glue together, to cement to fasten together, to join or fasten firmly together, to join oneself to, cleave to. In other words, when that's why Jesus said, what God has joined together, let no man separate. What he's saying is when you separate that relationship, there is tearing and ripping because you are glued together by covenant. And when you break that covenant, it is a painful and a hard thing. The meaning of the Old Testament word is to bond. It's a, a covenant refers to two or more parties bound together. The generally accepted idea of binding or establishing a bond between two parties 
carries with it the concept of cleaving or sticking together to adhere to. The whole concept of marriage is to cling, to cleave. I was going to give you an illustration, but I don't have time. I'm just going to suffice it to say this. How many of you hear that part of the scripture in most marriages where they say, leave and cleave? How many of you hear that in almost every ceremony? Leave and cleave. That's a reality. That's a real thing. Because when you come together in marriage, you're becoming one in God. Okay? So you're, you're no longer two separate people in terms of God's context. Yes, you are in terms of your moral freedom and all of that. But in terms of that relationship, there's a covenant between you and God sees you as one. And that's why you should work together and you should move in the same direction. You should be positive, right? So in order to do that, you must cleave together. So that, that requires dedication, in other words, I have dedicated myself, I've set myself apart, and I've set this marriage apart, and I am cleaving to my, this relationship. I am cleaving to that marriage. Well, so what does it look like to leave and cleave? Well, here's the b- bottom line. You can't cleave until you leave. Everybody say it with me. You can't cleave until you leave. So... One thing that I see happening a lot in a lot of marriages today is a couple's getting married, but their parents view it this way. Oh, I have, this is how I call Connor's son. I don't ever call him son-in-law just because I hate it. And I, I like to call him son because I feel like he's my son. I've always wanted a son. God gave me a son. Here he is. It's not biological, but he's married to my daughter. And sometimes I like him better than I like her. Anyway, no, I'm joking. That's not true. Don't tell her I said that. Where is she? She's back there. Oh, dang. I thought she was with the kids. No, I'm joking. She knows I'm teasing. But here's what we do a lot of times. Oh, my! I have a new son's coming into my family. Nope. I have a new daughter coming into my family. Nope. Each of those families are sending that son and that daughter to create their own family. And they're there for support, but it ain't mom, dad, son, daughter getting married. Are you with me? I remember when Janae was really young, uh, we we were living far off from her parents. Well, it wasn't that far, but it seemed far to us. It was two or three hours. That's not far now, but it seemed far to us then. And we were young and we were doing ministry. And she went home in a particular time that it was just hard. What we were doing was hard. And she went home and she kept she kept lollygagging around when it was time to go back. And she, if I remember correctly, what she said is her mom said, get in your car and go And to me, that is the image. And what we're having today in a lot of circumstances is we're having cleaving, but not leaving. And we're, and parents, it's a little bit of our fault because we've revolved everything around our kids and we've inserted ourselves in their life in every way and we've forgotten to release them as time goes by. And then we release them into marriage, but we release them and we join them in that. 
and we can't do that. We have to release them and they can cleave, but before they cleave, they have to leave. That hurts, it's painful. I remember standing right here on this stage preaching their wedding and crying tears running down my face because I felt that hooligan was taking my daughter from me. While at the same time feeling like what a blessing to be given my daughter to this man who I've prayed for for his entire life and didn't even know him. But I can't be married. It's not me, Connor and Taylor in their marriage. It's Connor and Taylor in their marriage and I can be here to support if they need my support. But in order for him to cleave with her, he's got to leave. She's got to leave me. And so if we're going to really get this right, this covenant right, if we're going to allow our young people to get married and have a covenant, if we're going to have the covenant of marriage right, we have to understand there's a leaving and a cleaving. There's a leaving old ways and cleaving to new ways. There's a leaving old mindsets and cleaving to new mindsets. There's a leaving old thoughts and cleaving to new thoughts. There's leaving old buddies and clinging to new relationship. Are you with me? Because covenant is different than contract. This, this is another way our relationship reflects Jesus and his bride. The church is the covenant relationship. The different mentalities of contract and covenant, and I'm closing with this. Contract means I take you for me. Covenant means I give myself to you. Contract says you had better do it. Covenant says how may I serve you? Contract says what do I get? covenant says what can I give contract says I'll meet you halfway covenant says I'll give you a hundred percent contract says I have to covenant says I want to a covenant marriage is intended by God to be a lifelong relationship exemplifying unconditional love reconciliation sexual purity and growth a covenant is an eternal commitment to God. So I don't know what your past has been like. I don't know what you've gone through. I don't want you to get in condemnation or think towards the past. I want you to think about your life right now and what God wants to do with you and your marriage. And I want you to listen and say, I'm going to land on the covenant side of marriage, not the contract mindset. I'm going to give my whole self, not expect them to give half while I give that. I'm going to it's a covenant. It's, we're in this together. We're same team every time, every situation, every circumstance, every problem, same team. And not only is our covenant connected to one another, but the Bible says that two are better than one and a threefold cord is not easily broken. Our relationship in marriage is connected not just to each other, but that third cord is that cord of God's Holy Spirit winding itself around our life, leading and guiding it, and helping us to be the, 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 the disciple that God called us to be. Stand with me. Thank you for being a part of the Summit Church podcast today. We pray that God used today's podcast to draw you closer to Him. You can stay in the know at Summit by following us on social media. Thank you again for being a part. This is the Summit Church podcast.